a message series called Faith in Motion. This is our, our summer message series through the book of James. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know James was written by the little brother of Jesus. So can you just imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother? Uh, that Talk about a tough, a tough childhood for this brother, right? And so uh, not, we kind of understand that he was a skeptic, right? So we read in the Gospels that, that he wasn't a believer, uh, he, he didn't follow Jesus at first, which, he, of course, I, I get. If you have a sibling that says, hey, I'm God, worship me, uh, that's probably not, probably not gonna go well. And James was in, in that camp. He was like, bro, I'm, no way, you know? And, and so it really wasn't until after Jesus appeared to James, after the crucifixion and resurrection, that James believes. And, and not only does he believe, but he becomes this absolutely ferocious leader in the early Jerusalem church movement. In fact, A lot of people call him the pillar of the early church, just a a really strong brother. And so the whole thesis of this entire letter could be summed up in this one phrase, following Jesus is active. All right, that's kind of the thesis of the whole book. Following Jesus is active. It's not not something that's passive. It's not just a a belief system that we sort of subscribe to as followers of Jesus. This is is something that's more dynamic than that. It's more life-changing than that. It's something that transforms our lives and changes the way that we interact with the world around us. It should be that significant. Now, if you're like me, you kind of read through the book of James, and you just kind of feel like if you read the whole thing, like you've gone a, a few rounds with Mike Tyson in his prime or Conor McGregor in the octagon. Like you just, you just feel like you got worked over, a little bruised, man, a little, little bloody, but, but in a good way. It's like, man, that, that hurt, that stung a little bit, but that was actually really healthy for me. Like I, I needed some of these reminders, right? That's kind of what the book of James is like. And today's passage is actually one of the toughest, most controversial passage in the entire uh, New Testament. And so what James is gonna do this morning, fair, fair warning is he's gonna put his gloves on and he's gonna work us over just a little bit. And so I just wanna go ahead and give you a warning. Go ahead and put your headgear on, uh, get your game face ready because he's, he's gonna work us just a little bit. Now, before anybody gets upset this week, let me, I just wanna remind you, uh, James wrote this, not me, okay? I didn't write this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the server, I'm not the chef, right? God is a chef, he prepared, I, I just bring to the table what uh, God has prepared for us. So let, let me just set the stage for us before we dive into the text with a question. Many of you guys know, if you've been around a little while, through no fault of my own, I am a huge Alabama football fan. I know, I know terrible, right? But I, I grew up in Alabama. My dad, you know, big Bama fan, so I was kind of raised that way. And I, I just, I love Alabama football. And not just Alabama football, basketball. If they have a ping pong team, I'm, I'm pulling for the Alabama ping, tom, ping pong team, right? I, anything Alabama, I'm, I'm a big fan of. Now, just imagine if I walked in here one day, and I said, hey, guys, I, I, I got to tell you something. I have converted my fandom. And so I, I'm, no longer, I'm no longer a fan of the University of Alabama. I'm actually a Tar Heel fan now, right? I've been in North Carolina for over a decade now. So I, I, I really am a Tar Heel fan, and, and so that, that's what I am. But just imagine if I said that, but then I never bought any Tar Heel gear, right? So I don't have a T-shirt. I never go buy a hat. I never go to a basketball game. I don't even watch their games on TV. You ask me who their coach is, I'm like, man, I don't know who their coach is. Chris, tell me, tell me one player on the team. I don't know any players on the team. I never talk about the Tar Heels. Would you believe that I actually was a fan of the Tar Heels? No, you wouldn't. Why? Because my actions, right, the way that I live my life would betray what I'm saying with my mouth, right? And James is gonna say the same principle holds, holds true spiritually, all right? You guys ready for this? Oh, like two of you are ready, all right? 
You better be ready because James is coming for you. All right, so James chapter two, starting in verse 14. If you've got your Bible, if not, it'll be on the screens for you. This is what James, little brother Jesus writes. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking uh, in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so James is saying, hey, hey listen, y'all, 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 can, y'all can yap all you want about how, how spiritual you are, and you can post all the Bible verses you want all over your social media, and you can slap whatever Jesus bumper stickers you want on your car. You can go to every Bible study that the church ever offers. And listen, if that faith, James is saying, does not produce life change that spills over into action, that faith, James is saying, is dead. It's dead. It's absolutely useless, If you encounter a brother or sister in need and you have the ability to meet that need, but instead you just kind of throw out some spiritual platitude, like, hey, brother, I'm gonna pray for you. Or trust in God, God is mighty, God is able. You're just kind of throwing out platitudes left and right instead of actually engaging in the issue and meeting needs. James goes, what is that? What is that? What what good is that? No, friend, that is not a living faith. And so here, I'm just on the front end, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the big idea of the entire message, and so if you hear nothing else, hear this, this will be on the screens for you. This is, this is the whole deal. Authentic faith in Jesus leads to real fruit in our lives. I'm gonna say that again. Authentic faith in Jesus leads to real fruit in our lives. Now what James is about to do is he's gonna give us, he's gonna give us three types of faith. But before we jump in, I wanna tell you what James is not saying here, because I think there could be a lot of confusion uh, um, based on this passage, and I don't want, want you to walk out of here with the wrong idea. So two things James is not saying. Number one, he is not saying that we are saved by works. All right, so, so I wanna make that very, very clear. Paul is clear in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works so that no man could boast, right? So please do not walk out of here thinking that James is saying today you just have to go work harder and you gotta go do a bunch of good things and then you're gonna earn your salvation. That is, listen to me, that is not what James is saying. Now some people out there have tried to really kind of pit Paul against James. Say, well, Paul is the faith guy. James is the works guy. And so they're really kind of teaching these contradictory truths. But I think that when we rightly understand what James is saying, what we see, Paul and James, is they're, they're actually teaching complementary truths. They both believe that we are saved by grace through faith, and they both believe that works are a natural overflow of sa- saving faith. I love this quote, widely attributed to, to Martin Luther. I'm not sure if it actually came from him first, but I, but I like it, so I'm gonna throw it on the screens for you. This is really good. It says this, we, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Isn't that good? We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, our faith should always be accompanied by action, by life change, by good works, by good fruit in our life. So just understand, James is not saying that we are actually saved by our good works, okay? He's not saying, hey, go do do a bunch of good stuff, then God will love you, then God will accept you. He's also not saying, number two, that we can earn God's favor or his love with works. 
So listen, if you're here and you're in Jesus, you're a child of God this morning, you need to understand there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more or less than he already does. If you are in Christ today, you are fully loved, you are fully accepted, not because of how awesome you are, but because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Okay, so that two things, just wanna be really clear. That's kind of the caveat. James is not saying you, you need to work your way to salvation. He's not saying you either, even get God's favor or his love by good works. He's not saying those two things, all right? Now, here's what he is saying. He's saying there's three kinds of faith. And I think what James wants us to do as we work through these three categories of faith is he, he really wants us to do a self-examination, right? So if you're like me and your tendency when you hear something like this is just to kind of file it away as intellectual knowledge or even to think, man, my, my brother really needs to hear this or my aunt really needs to hear this or somebody else I know really could, could find this useful, I, I wanna say, no, don't, don't do that this morning. Do a, do a self-inventory, do a self-examination and say, God, I think all of us should just come to the text this morning with this kind of humble attitude in prayer and just say, God, would you reveal where I am? Would you just, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the, the word, through your word in James chapter two, would you just reveal where I am? Not where I wanna be, not where I think I am, but where I actually stand before you. Would you pray that humble prayer? Would you walk into the sex with that humble attitude this morning? Because the reality is this, Jesus says in the gospels that there are many people who are deceived. Did you know that? Jesus says there, there are a lot of people in this world that think they're in, that think they're on team Jesus when they're actually out. Let me show you his actual words. This is in Matthew chapter seven. This will be on the screens for you. Jesus says this, you will recognize them by their fruits, not what they claim, by their lives, by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, there's this connection between saving faith and a transformed life. Those of us who love Jesus tend to want to obey Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then... I will declare to them, I never knew you. Never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So dear friend, as we go through this, let's just examine our hearts. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we truly are. So the first kind of faith, according to James, look back at verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. The answer clearly is no. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And here it is, key, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. First kind of faith, according to James, number one is dead faith. Dead faith. Now th this, this is the kind of faith that professes belief in Jesus, but gives no evidence of that belief 
in their life, right? This is the tree that claims to be an apple tree but produces nothing but thorns in their life. This is me claiming to be a Tar Heel fan when everything in my life screams that I'm a Crimson Tide fan, right? And James even gives a more graphic picture of this in verse 26. Look at that verse. He says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James holds up the picture of a corpse, right? And if you've ever been to a funeral, somebody that you love and you've kind of stood around that casket and looked at that lifeless body, you know, man, that it doesn't matter how many times you beg that body to sit up and to talk to you and to give you one last hug. It doesn't matter how many times you beg for those things, that body is incapable of responding to any of those things. Why? Because it's dead. There's no life in it at all. I remember when I was a little kid, um, living in South America, my parents bought me a pet, a pet hamster, and uh, it's one of those white ones with the red eyes that look kind of demonic, kind of scary. And um, we named him uh, Aptly Snowball, right? And so we we liked our little hamster, and I'd go to bed at night, and I'd hear him on his wheel, just kind of churning and squeaking that little wheel, and we'd take him out, and he'd squeak and kind of sit on our shoulder and poop in our hand, and you know, it's kind of nice having this little little hamster. And, and one day, my parents went in when I was at school, and they noticed that. Uh, Snowball was laying on the bottom of his cage, not moving, right? And they're like, oh man, Snowball died. And so they, my, dad, my dad takes Snowball out in the backyard and he digs a hole and he buries him. And then he comes back in and, and this is before the internet days, so we had like manual, pet manuals. And so he starts reading on the hamsters and he, he finds a section that talks about hibernation. That hamsters are actually kind of like bears. They, they can go into hibernation. And so my dad panics. <laughs> and so he runs out into the backyard and he finds where he buried little Snowball and he, he digs him up and he drags him out and he takes him in and he's kind of cold. And my mom gets a hairdryer and they're blowing hot air on this hamster, right? And it didn't matter how much hot air they blew on him or how many times they pumped little, his little Snowball chest. Like, it didn't matter. He was not going to get up and run on his little cute hamster wheel anymore because he was dead. There was no life in him. And James is going in the same way, in the same way. If you say you have faith, but it produces no works in your life, it is a dead hamster corpse, corpse right? There's nothing it can do. It is not saving faith. And friend, as funny as that is, I am convinced that there are countless people littered across churches all over America right now, this morning, who would profess Jesus with their lips, but on that final day, they will hear from Jesus, depart from me with a tear in his eye. Because I never, I never knew you. I never knew you. Your, your faith was like a dead body. It was never active. It was never alive. You never communed with me. We never had a relationship. And I want you to understand, friend, that is a tragedy that does not have to be your story. That does not have to be your fate. And so if you're here and you would have to be honest this morning with yourself, and you would have to say, man, I think that's me. I think I've got dead faith. I profess Jesus with my mouth, but he's never changed my life. Or maybe you're here or watching online and you have no faith. You're just kind of on the fence. You're just kind of checking all this Jesus stuff out. Maybe you're, like I was in college, a skeptic. You need to understand that Jesus invites you to his table today. 
that you are welcome in the kingdom of God, regardless of where you came from, regardless of what your past look like, looks like, regardless of how messy your past is, you need to understand that Jesus invites you into this authentic, living, breathing faith that he wants you to experience. Friend, do not settle for dead faith. There's so much more that God has for you. But that's one kind of faith that's out there. It's, it's dead faith. It's people that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a believer. But there's no inward transformation that results in a life change, right? That's dead faith. There's a second type of faith. Look at verse 18. He continues on. He says, but someone will say, so he's, he's sort of doing this imaginary argument with an opponent here, James is. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And there are folks that, would do that even now, right? They'd say, well, man, you, you have this one spiritual gift over here, more faith, and I have this spiritual gift over here. And we're just, we're just kind of different, but they're all this different paths that kind of lead up the same mountain to the same God. That was the argument that some folks back in James's day were also making. You have faith and I have works. James asked kind of a, he gets kind of sarcastic here, right? He says, show me your faith apart from your works. He's saying, that's impossible. You can't show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And then he gets really sarcastic. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and they shudder. So James is saying, man, listen, not only is dead faith a, a big problem among the churches, not only is dead faith a lethal faith, there's another kind of common faith among churches that is equally deadly, and that is number two, demonic faith. So you've got dead faith, You've got demonic faith. And so you gotta understand, de demons have better theology than anybody in this room. Did you know that? They've got better theology than the greatest pastors and theologians who have ever lived. Demons believe in God, listen, with zero doubt. In fact, you read the Gospels, the demons were usually the first ones to, to recognize who Jesus was. Right? They, they know the scriptures inside and out. Their theology is impeccable. They believe the gospel intellectually, and yet James says they believe and they shudder or they tremble. So they believe, but is their faith a saving faith? No, Jesus tells us that their destiny is eternal separation from God. And so the question that I had as I was studying this week has been how many people are filling our churches all across this nation this morning who are in the very same boat? There are people who intellectually believe in God. There are people who intellectually believe in the gospel of Jesus. And James says, good job. You're now on par with the demons. Have your, has your life ever actually been fully surrendered to Jesus? Have you ever actually reoriented your entire life around the gospel of Jesus in such a way that it affects your life? It affects the way that you interact with your spouse, the way that you parent your kids, the way that you handle your finances, the way that you engage your neighbors and coworkers and classmates. And if you have a faith that has never transformed you at all, James says, friend, because I love you, I gotta tell you, that is a demonic faith that will not save you on the last day. Intellectual belief alone without a transformational relationship with Jesus, James is saying, is a fraudulent faith. It's the faith of demons. So, so far, James has given us a dead faith. He's given us a demonic faith.
But there's one more type of faith. And friend, this is the kind of faith that we all need. This is the kind of faith that I want to be exhibited and just overflowing from my own life. And that is living faith. Living faith, dynamic faith. The kind of faith that we get when we meet Jesus and he transforms our life and he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and change us and guide us and direct us and convict us of sin and give us the desire to follow Jesus and follow his word and obey him. That's living faith. Look at verse 20. He'll describe it for us. James says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so James brilliantly goes back to the Old Testament and he holds up two examples of living faith. Abraham and Rahab. Abraham, right? The father of the faith, the father of the nation of Israel and Rahab, a Gentile prostitute. You you could not choose two more radically different people to demonstrate what living faith actually looks like. And if you read the account of Abraham in the book of Genesis, if you read Rahab's story in Joshua chapter two, listen, it is very, very clear that they both have faith first before they experience any kind of good works in their lives, right? In other words, they don't do good works in order to get faith, they believe and then that belief results in action in their lives. If you're familiar with the story of Abraham, you probably already know the, the, the story, right? He, God comes to him and asks him to, to sacrifice uh, his beloved son, Isaac. And Hebrews 11 actually tells us that Abraham's faith in God was so strong that he actually believed that God could resurrect Isaac from the dead if necessary, right? And if you are familiar with that story, you know that right before Abraham sacrifices his son, right? He's got the knife up in the air, ready to plunge it into his precious son's chest, right? God intervenes through an angel, right? And there's a ram or a lamb in the thicket. God gives him this other sacrifice to offer in place of Isaac. And of course, we know now that that's a foreshadowing, right, of the God who would one day send his only son as a sacrifice, the perfect lamb to take our place and to pay for our sin. But what you gotta see is that Abraham's faith overflowed into a life of obedience to God. Even when it wasn't easy, even when it was at great personal cost to himself, right? That that living, authentic faith resulted in a life of action and obedience. And that's James's whole point this morning, isn't it? If you say you follow Jesus and yet your life is never marked by a desire to actually obey Jesus, James is saying, brother, Dear sister, your faith in that case is either dead or it's the faith of demons, one or the other. Because living faith produces a life of obedience. Now, he's not arguing for perfection here. Don't don't hear James saying you gotta be perfect, you can never have any sin in your life or you can't follow Jesus. He's not arguing for perfection, but what I think he is arguing for is progress. This is the 
the process that the Bible talks about of sanctification, as we get to know Jesus, as we are filled by his Holy Spirit and we walk with him, we become more and more like him, friends. So the reality is this, man, I, I, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Sin is a constant struggle for me, but by God's grace, I can look back five years ago and say, I'm not the man I once was. I can ask my wife 10 years ago, am I the man that I was 10 years ago? By God's grace, you can say, no, I've, se I've seen transformation. I've seen growth. I've, I've seen maturity in your life. This is what we should be working towards. We should want to see sanctification in our lives, not perfection, but progress. Charles Spurgeon, one of, my, one of my favorites, speaking of this kind of faith, living faith, that actually transforms your life. It's not just words. It's not just an intellectual belief system. It actually is transformative. This is what he says. This will be on the screens for you. He says, the saints fed the hungry and clothed the the naked, because it gave them much pleasure to do so. They did it because they could not help doing it. Their new nature impelled them to it. They did it because it was their delight to do good. They did good for Christ's sake because it was the sweetest thing in the world to do anything for Jesus. And see, that's what James is saying. Abraham's faith produced obedience in his life. It produced good fruit in his life. And what about Rahab? What a story. Rahab, right? The Gentile prostitute. The opposite of Abraham. Low status in that culture, the city prostitute, a pagan, a Gentile, far from God. The opposite of Abraham in just about every way possible. Actually a woman who would unbelievably end up in the lineage of Jesus himself. And if you know the story of Joshua too, right? The Israelites are coming in. They're taking over the, the promised land that God has given them. They send two spies into the promised land and they actually stay with Rahab. Right now, if you read that story, uh, earlier in Joshua chapter two, she professes her faith in the God of the Bible. And after that, you see the action, right? She takes these spies, she protects them, she hides them, she sends them out on another way to, for, to, for their safety, right? Her faith moves her to action at great cost, great personal risk even to her own life. And again, as James is holding up these two examples of living faith, faith that results in obedience, action, Abraham and Rahab, he's simply saying, listen, they were, they were both saved by faith, but they were saved by the kind of faith that actually changed their lives. It's the kind of faith that produces action, life change, good fruit. And so as we begin to kind of land the plane this morning, let me circle back around to the big idea that we started with. I wanna put it on the screens again. Authentic faith in Jesus leads to real fruit in our lives. Authentic faith in Jesus leads to real fruit in our lives. I'm gonna share one more quote with you. This is from Tim Keller, pastor up in, in New York City. This is what he says. He says, mercy, and in this context, he's talking about action, good, good works, Mercy to the full range of human needs is such an essential mark of a Christian that it can be used as a test of true faith. Mercy or action is not optional or an addition to being a Christian. Rather, a life poured out in deeds of good mercy is the sign of genuine faith. Friends, listen, you gotta understand, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works which is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. We are not working for our salvation, we are working from our salvation and that makes all the difference in the world. So let me just kind of wrap up our time with a couple of questions and then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let me just encourage you once more, 
Friend, examine your faith. Examine your faith. And if you're a person here who would say, I, have, I, ha- I don't really have any faith, I'm just kind of exploring the, the claims of Jesus, I'm kind of a skeptic, whether you're here in the house, whether you're online, I just want you to know Jesus offers you living faith. He offers you a dynamic faith. And listen, if you have the kind of faith that has never resulted in a transformed life, James is saying, because he loves you, not because he hates you, he's, kind of, he's saying, listen, guys, if you have a faith that has never changed you, you have a dead faith or you have a demonic faith, you do not have a living faith. That is a counterfeit faith. Do you just give lip service to following Jesus? James says that's dead, that's dead faith. Do you just have an intellectual belief that God exists, that a higher power exists, that that Jesus actually is who he said to be? That's the demonic faith, James says. And if that's you, if you would have to be honest enough just to confess, like, yeah, I'm in one of those categories. I profess it with my mouth, I believe it in my mind, but there's been no life change. I don't want you to leave here discouraged. I don't want you to leave here depressed. Because here's the good news, living faith, this dynamic faith that James is talking about, it is offered to you freely by Jesus. Friend, you gotta understand, he is not hiding from you. He's not hiding from you, he wants you to know him. He wants you to abide in him and walk with him and experience the fullness of his grace relationally. And he wants, to experience, he wants you to experience this new life. Now, now here, I gotta tell you as we close, here's my fear when I preach a message like this. My fear is that there will be a number of you who will walk out of here thinking, I just need to do more. I just need to work harder. I need, I need to do more good works. I mean, I just, I just, need, to, I just need to white knuckle it and become more disciplined and I need to go, do more things. And I'm just, I'm gonna make myself be a good Christian. And I'm telling you, if you walk out of here, that's your takeaway, you will fail. And I know because I've done it. Because maybe if you're a really disciplined person, this will last for you a day or two, maybe even a week. If you're super disciplined, maybe even a month, but you will fail if you try to do this in your own strength. So you gotta understand, man, the sermon series that we were in before this series was, was called Abide. And the whole crux of what Jesus was teaching in that series is that you have to walk with me. Just be close to me. Spend time with me. Jesus is like, listen, I'm the vine. You are the branches, you have to abide in me, and if you abide in me, the good fruit will come. You don't have to white knuckle it. Just get full of me, spend time with me, and this stuff will happen naturally in your life. And so friend, let me just encourage you, if you already know Jesus, would you just walk more closely with him this week? Would you just spend time with him? Would you just enjoy him in prayer and in his word? Because the reality is the more full of Jesus you are, the more of his goodness will naturally begin to overflow in your life through good works and obedience and action. Real faith leads to real fruit. And praise God, this type of living faith that James is talking about, this type of transformational faith, this suffering engaging faith, this mercy focused faith is available to us because Jesus actually did come into this world. And he lived a perfect and a sinless life for you, friend. And for me, the life that you should have lived, but you were incapable of doing, he lived that life for you. And then he died a torturous, bloody, miserable, prolonged death to pay for your rebellion, to pay for my rebellion against him. And then he rose again and he's offering everyone who would follow him now a resurrected life. 
a new life, this incredible living faith where we get his spirit and we're led by his spirit and we have this incredible life in relationship with our creator through Jesus Christ and it's this incredible thing and he's offering it to us freely. This is real faith. This is living faith and it always is fleshed out in real fruit in our lives. And he's offering us this living hope, this resurrected life today. And so let me just encourage you, friend, if you would have to be really honest with yourself. This morning, whether you're here, whether you're at home watching this, and you would have to say, Chris, as I'm listening to the words of James, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God almost 2,000 years ago, I believe I'm in one of the first two categories. I think my faith is dead. Like I profess God with my mouth, but there's no change in my life. Or I think, I've got the, I think I've got demonic faith. Like I intellectually believe that these things are true, but they've never moved down to my heart in a way that influences the way that I interact with the world or love my spouse or raise my kids or interact with my classmates or coworkers or friends. Chris, I think I'm in one of those two categories. What should I do? And the answer to that question is really, really simple. In just a minute, I want you to cry out to God because he promises to hear us when we cry out to him in genuine faith. And just ask God to come into your life, to forgive you of your sin, to help you repent. That's just a word that means to turn away from your sin, to begin to follow Jesus. And if you pray that prayer, with a genuine heart, he promises to answer that prayer, to give you his Holy Spirit, to begin leading you and guiding you and convicting you of sin so that you can live this good life that he's talking about with living faith and living hope. And so if that's you, I just wanna invite you to pray that prayer with me in just a minute. And for those of you who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already in. I'm, I love God, I'm doing my best to follow Jesus. Let me just encourage you, don't, don't walk out of here thinking you just have to white knuckle this. You just gotta try harder, that you just need a better to-do list. That's not gonna work, friend. Let me encourage you to just get closer to the Savior this week. To just walk with Him. To spend time with Him. To allow His Spirit to wash over your heart and your soul as you spend time in his word, which is powerful as you pray, as you commune with his Holy Spirit. And as you walk with him and you abide with him, these works will begin to flow out of your life naturally. You're not gonna have to white knuckle it or try to will yourself to live this kind of life. It's gonna become second nature to you because when you follow Jesus, he gives you a new nature. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, we have a savior who extends this kind of life this kind of forgiveness to you. Will you take it today, friend? Let's pray and then we're gonna celebrate communion. God, we, we come to you. We thank you for your living and active word, even the parts of it that are really hard, even the parts of it that, that sting, that hurt, God. And this is one of those passages that demands that we do self-examination, God. And I know in a room this size with a number of people that are watching online, there are more than a handful that would fall into one of these two categories, dead faith or demonic faith. God, would you reveal to us where we are? And if we're in one of those two categories with a fraudulent faith, would you expose that 
to us? Would you let us know? Not because you want to make us sad, but because you want to free us. You want to set us free to live the life that you have for us. And so I pray right now for that person that would have to be honest enough and transparent enough to say, ah, yes, I think that's me. I think that's me. I think I'm, I think I'm the person that professes faith but never transformed my life. I think I'm the, the person that believes intellectually but it never actually changes my life. I think I'm in those two categories and I don't want to be in that category. I want to have living faith and I want to know Jesus and I want to have a transformed life. If that's you, can just pray this prayer. God, would you please redeem me? Would you please forgive me? Help me to turn from my sin. Would you give me Jesus? Would you help me follow Jesus? Would you give me your spirit and help me to follow you? I want this living faith. I don't want dead faith anymore. I don't want demonic faith anymore. I want to experience you, God. And if you pray that prayer, God is going to honor that today. And for those of us who already know Jesus, would we just, would we just pray, God, would you help us to walk with you? Help us not try to be more disciplined or or try to white knuckle this kind of faith, but just to get close to you, just to allow you to breathe into our lives every single day in a way that would change the way that we look at the world and we engage other people in the way that we live our lives. God, would you help us remember that this is not something we can do in our own strength. It's something that only you can accomplish in us. So help us to press into you in a new way, in a deep way this week. And we pray all these things in the beautiful in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.